Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of the Hydrogen Nowcast, recorded on April 9th, 2021. This is a podcast devoted to encouraging the deployment of fuel cell EVs, hydrogen fueling, and hydrogen infrastructure throughout the world. The Hydrogen Nowcast is a production of the Colorado Hydrogen Network in Denver, Colorado. I'm your host, Brian DeBruin, the Director of Operations for the Colorado Hydrogen Network. In today's podcast, we have a recording of a conversation I had with Dr. David Antonelli, who's the CEO and CTO of Cubagen Limited in the United Kingdom, and that's spelled K-U-B-A-G-E-N. Now, Dr. Antonelli has invented a material based on manganese called Cubus manganese hydride, which can be used in hydrogen tanks to absorb more hydrogen than just empty space and at lower pressures. For example, for two tanks of the same volume, a tank containing the Cubus manganese hydride at 150 bar pressure will store about four times the hydrogen as a 700 bar empty space tank. What's more, when filling the tanks, the hydrogen won't need pre-chilling like 700 bar tanks need today. So now onto the conversation I had with Dr. Antonelli. Okay, so David, why don't we start out by talking a little bit about uh, the technology to to store hydrogen using hydrides? I mean, where where does that stand, and maybe what are the specialties that you have at Cubagen? Where we're working at is actually not specifically hydrides. I mean, our, our material is a hydride, but what's unique about it is that the hydrogen that it stores is not in the hydride form. So I I had been working on this problem for about 15 years. I have a background in sol gel processing, a type of materials chemistry that makes highly porous amorphous materials, and also a background in organometallic chemistry where the investigations of unique types of hydrogen bonding to transition metals is quite common. And I sort of wanted to fuse these things together. And, uh, And back about 15 years ago, there's two types of hydrogen storage that was being pursued outside of you know liquid hydrogen. There were materials that were very high surface area that only worked under cryogenic conditions like um, you know AMOFs and amorphous carbons. They only work at 77 Kelvin, and that actually the volumetric densities of storage aren't all that good. And then on the other hand, there was hydrides, which are a compound between metal and hydrogen with discrete metal hydrogen bonds that were actually quite strong. And when you're uh, uh, going through a hydriding, dehydriding cycle in a metal hydride, you'd have this enormous amount of energy to deal with. Like if you start with magnesium, treat it with hydrogen, you make magnesium hydride, but a lot of energy is released and you got to put that energy somewhere. But then when you want to drive the hydrogen off to use it, you have to put that energy back in. So it creates an enormous engineering problem. So on the one side, the hydrogen bonding is too strong, and you have to do something about the extra energy involved on the, the on cycling. On the other side of the high surface area porous materials, the binding's too weak. It's just hydrogen sitting on the surface of a, of a highly high surface area material. And so we knew of something, or I, I did because I was an organometallic chemist called the Kubis interaction after Gregory Kubis, who's retired from Los Alamos. And sometimes he doesn't apparently doesn't like it when it's called the Kubis interaction. It's called a non-classical hydrogen bond or something like that. But that sounds a little bit too techy. So we just call it the Kubis interaction. And it's sort of intermediate between the hydride and the fizzysorption. The hydrogen is actually bonds to a transition metal. Um, like you know, iron or manganese, but the the hydrogen hydrogen bond is not broken. 
So it's not really, you never really get a strong metal hydrogen bond like you do in a hydride. So I wanted to make high surface area materials that use this as the principal storage mechanism. But one of the challenges was is that you had to make it porous material, but you also had to make it very light because if it wasn't very light, then you couldn't really, it, it wouldn't get practical hydrogen storage figures. So essentially we came across the idea that we, we had to have a transition metal and we had to have something bridging the transition metals. And the lightest thing that could bridge the transition metals is actually a hydride. So, so we've got made these, these materials that were networks, porous networks of metal, hydrogen, metal linkages that formed a skeleton. And you could actually add hydrogen into this or take it off. And the hydride that was in there initially would stay, but the extra hydrogen would bind using the Kubis interaction. Now this took 15 years of research actually. And we filed some initial patents back at the University of South Wales when I first moved here to the United Kingdom back in 2011 or 2012. And, uh, but there was some issues with that technology. It was difficult to scale up and some of the materials uh, had some problems with me mechanical stability. So about two years ago, we published uh, the big paper um, that came out in energy and environmental science and got the, you know, the inside cover page of that because it was considered to be such a, a big advance. And then we filed a patent. And, and that patent belonged to, um, to Kubagen specifically and not the University of South Wales. So what does our material do? Well, it stores about four times more hydrogen in a, in a given space than can be done uh, with 700 bar technology currently at uh, four to five times cheaper cost. Uh, we've actually went through all the calculations with someone who's on the uh, DOE hydrogen tech team. And it's 12 times better than 200 bar technology from a volumetric standpoint. And it actually turns out to be two to three times cheaper than lithium batteries per kilowatt hour, even when you can consider the cost of the fuel cell. So, so it has enormous advantages. And, and so that's, a, that's essentially where, where we are now. And actually, uh, the, the added benefit is that it works uh, by pressurizing and depressurizing as a toggle at room temperature and no heat is, is released on cycling. And the, the real stroke of genius there is that the material sort of reorganizes when you put hydrogen into it and that the, the hydrogen binding energy of the hydrogen to the metal that is released, the small amount of energy is actually absorbed by the material as it goes through this reorganization. So the material actually acts as its own heat sink. And so you do not have to build some kind of fancy mechanism to manage the heat on it. So, so that uh, was really quite amazing. And we've done computations to back that up. And we've done calorimetry measurements to prove uh, that this is actually the case, you know, that, that put the material in a calorimeter and, and uh, charge it with hydrogen and then remove the hydrogen. And we can measure exactly how much heat is released. And it's pretty much thermodynamically neutral. So it's really quite an amazing technology. You know, let me just interject here. That really caught my eye or my, my mind, I guess, when I heard about that, because we're in the process of putting together fuel stations here. And as mm -hmm. most of the listeners probably know, hydrogen fuel stations for fueling at least passenger vehicles have to pre-chill the hydrogen. And there's a big cost to that, both capital cost as well as an operating cost. So with the Kubagen material, my understanding is when you fuel uh, even at 700 bar, you don't have to pre-chill the hydrogen. Is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's totally correct. And actually, we could probably use 700 bar filling stations um, and just have a pressure down regulator because our tanks, the tanks we'd be using would not be 700 bar tanks because they're too expensive. We could actually get away with using a M150 aluminum tank, uh, which is used uh, to carry oxygen in the the back of the ambulance. And they're actually super light and they hold 150 bar. And and our peak uh, absorption is at about 120 bar. And so we could use that um, as well. And we don't have to cool the hydrogen or or heat it up or anything like that. Well, and that's another good point. Since the tank is going to hold, what, about four times the amount of hydrogen of a 700 bar tank? Or or do I have that math wrong? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So we don't need 700 bar. You know, we could go with, you know, half of that at at least. And so uh, that omits the having to, you know, the need to cool. You know, another thing too that caught my eye is the, you know, we talked earlier about the hydride materials mm-hmm. and typically to use those, you I, I think you can apply the hydrogen without having to add any heat. But then when you want to extract the hydrogen, you have to heat the tanks. But with the Kumagen process, you don't have to add or extract heat, either filling the tank or extracting from the tank. That's right. That's right. And actually, I mean, and again, the reason for that is a lot of um, engineers, look at that and say, well, that sounds strange. How is it the material can absorb its own heat on cycling? And the actual, the answer is if you're a chemist and actually, I mean, I was a postdoc at Caltech the year that Rudy Marcus won the Nobel prize and he discovered the Marcus cross relationship. And this had to do with electron transfer and solution. But essentially what it said was, is that you had to take into account the reorganization of solvent molecules around the oxygen or reduced species when you're calculating the rate of electron transfer and that there was a reorganization energy. And and likewise, when we add hydrogen to our solid state material, the the Kubis binding um, dictates that hydrogen can only bind in a certain way, you know, at a certain angle in a certain position. So when you put the hydrogen in and it it adopts the Kubis binding, there has to be a twisting, a reorganization. And it makes perfect sense. And so it's that reorganization and then flipping back to the ground state that absorbs the heat. So it's it's really quite genius. But I mean, it's the same, pretty much the same thing as the Marcus Cross relationship. Okay, for, All right. For chemistry enthusiasts out there, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we have some. So you know, we just talked a little bit about using this for vehicles, and I think we were probably talking passenger vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. How easy is it to scale this up? I mean, not only for trucks, but also for transport. If we want to have a big class eight truck that's, you know, hauling hydrogen, does this apply to that or is the material too heavy or, you know, what, how would that work? No, actually uh, that is the real sweet spot. I have some, some very enthusiastic supporters and collaborators at uh, VDL is the biggest uh, electric bus company outside of China and they're located in Amsterdam and they're one of our biggest evangelists. They basically are saying that our, our material is the real game changer for 18 wheel trucks. And the reason um, this guy has gone through all the calculations and he's, he's come to the conclusion that, that our material is the only one that really works. And the reason is because given current European regulations, if they use 700 bar technology for the 18 wheel trucks, 
the tanks would be too big and that they would actually mean that the trucks could not have a sleeping cabin for, for the truck driver. And that's because the trucks can only be certain dimensions, certain lengths and everything. And it's either, do you want the sleeping cabin or do you want the 700 bar hydrogen? You can't have both, but with our material, it's actually, it actually works. You know, so, so but the, the problem is scaling it up and it actually the the, uh, the original patents that uh, from USW, uh, you can make you know small amounts of material, but it takes about two weeks because the whole process is slow. And if you try to speed it up by raising the temperature, you basically get junk. And so we had to, you know, just a, like two years ago, we made another breakthrough that showed how we can actually scale it up by, by making the whole process much, much faster. Because nobody in industry is going to want to make a material that takes you know, two weeks of heating. You know, it's just like a you know, a bakery's got to bake bread in 20 minutes, you know, not two, you know, five days, you know, I mean, so, so that, that was the, the big breakthrough. And now we're working with uh, some very large chemical companies on, on trying to um, make an industrial process to actually make kilograms, hundreds of kilograms, thousands of kilograms. Uh, and it'll, it'll take a couple of years because, um, you know, the big companies move slowly and they have to allocate resources to figure out, you know, what's the best way to, to, to move up. Because right now we've just been making the material at lab scale. But that's ultimately the goal, and that's what what our you know our, our two to three year roadmap involves you know, having you know multiple kilograms uh, you know available, so we could actually put them into large tanks. I mean, the, the guys at VDL want want me to produce like two hundred kilograms in two years, and I tell them it depends more on the big chemical companies than it does on me. You know, I've done most of the groundwork already, and we just have to scale it up. Okay. Well, that kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about, uh, kind of the business side of this. Um, sounds like maybe it's a couple of years technically or, or just scaling up production to uh, get to the point, uh, I guess, probably our listeners and I'm thinking, you know, when, when can we start seeing this in tanks, either for vehicles or even for transport? Well, um, I think that that you know our our roadmap involves basically about two years to scale it up. We have a uh, have some support from Shell uh, and and some other companies that we're under and you know NDA with it, and we think that in, within two years that we could actually make multiple kilogram quantities, and that once we do that. Uh, and actually, one other thing that we're going to do is we're going to make a small tank, like maybe 100 grams in it, and and just to, you know to get the packing right. Because for each size of tank, the kinetics uh, might actually be different. Because if you take the material and pack it all in as a powder, that that on a lab scale, uh, the, it, the hydrogen is absorbed instantaneously and desorbed instantaneously as you change the pressure, which is really really nice. But if you had, say, you know, 200 kilograms in a tank, that there might have to be some extra tubing uh, put in there to make sure that the hydrogen uh, transportation is, is quick throughout the bulk of the material. So we have to look at this issue as well. We don't uh, anticipate any problems. And in fact, in our calculations, when I, when I say four times better than 700 bar, we are already factoring in that we will lose 30% 
of the activity because we will have to add various little tubings and things like that just to improve the the, the bulk kinetics in a larger tank. But we're going to start with by building a small little uh, device of maybe 100, 200 grams, and then uh, we're going to work our way up. All right. So we're, we're hoping actually to be able to sell licenses in about three years and actually show de- a demo device in about two years. So a demo device would be the we would take a, a small tube, fill it up with our material, charge it with hydrogen and connect it to a fuel cell and basically say, OK, w- with this little tube here, we can run this uh, this light bulb for so many hours and, and prove exactly how much energy we have in there. Okay. So it sounds like it's not terribly technical problems yet to resolve, but just kind of getting maybe the, um, I'll call it the production, productionization, maybe of this kind of squared away. Yeah, that's right. And so it's working with the the chemical companies and making the leap because, I mean, I personally, you know, I'm a lab chemist and I really don't know what techniques um, they use to make chemicals on a large scale. They have, you know, huge reactors and gigantic filters and things like that. And, And there's reaction engineers that you have to work with. And they've been able to translate the process from the lab to a commercial process. Uh, may involve some tweaks and some rethinking, you know, uh, you know, maybe it takes five hours in the lab with our new techniques, but, you know, if, if we are making 500 times more, will it, uh, do we have to make other adjustments to make it go in five hours? And also there's considerations about how much energy is going to be used on, on a large scale, because when you're in, in the laboratory, like my lab, I don't sit there and, and calculate how many kilowatts of power I use to, to do this reaction, you know, but, but in a, in a company, they have to, you know, they have to you know how much energy did it require to make this and how much is that going to cost? You know, it's like oh, Bitcoin miners have to care about how much electricity they're using, you know? So, <laughs> well, you know, that's a criticism of solar panels. They say, well, there's so much energy that went into the aluminum frame and the glass and, you know, how, how many years does it take to recover that from the electricity you produce from the sun? So, you know, these days we have to, we have to think about all those things. Well, how about, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but, um, Funding. I mean, do you do you feel like you have the funding you need? And and part of why I bring this up is I just did a podcast with AP Ventures there in London, and I'm doing another podcast with Corporate Venture Capital. Yeah, people uh, can always contact me because more money is is always better. We were basically uh, had everything all set to start before the pandemic, but then the uh, the VC funding that that we had was was put on hold uh, because of the pandemic because uh, they didn't want to invest you know during a pandemic because it's hard to make pro- progress when you can't travel and things like that. But you know since then we've uh, got other partners and, and things are moving along. But more money. Is, is always better because we can move a lot faster. So definitely, I mean, if there are any uh, venture capitalists out there or anyone else uh, that wants to, to help us move more quickly, then please, um, you know, just, you know, contact me. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't think you'd turn that down. <laughs> no. Um, okay. Well, um, I think this has kind of answered a lot of the questions that I had. Mainly I was keen to find out, you know, how close this is to being uh, fielded. I know, like I said earlier, we're looking at developing or deploying fuel stations. And in a lot of cases, we can use the grid to do on-site electrolysis. But 
you know, when you start getting fuel stations out to the hinterlands, out in the middle of nowhere along the interstate system or whatever, trying to get power to those is a big problem. And that's also going to be a big problem, of course, for the battery charging folks. So we'll be looking at trucking hydrogen and trucking hydrogen, either as gaseous or liquid is just doesn't make that much sense. It's not that practical. So to be able to have something like the the Kubagen tanks where we can take a realistic amount of hydrogen in a truck out to a fuel station is going to be fantastic. And then, of course, as we already said, not having to chill the hydrogen going into the vehicles and using lower pressure is going to really drop the price of the fuel station. So I, yeah. I look forward to this to this happening. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that well, you'd like to add? No, who is it? Who did you speak to at uh, uh, AP Ventures? Because I, I visited there. They were very interested in Kubagen. But you know, at the time, that was maybe a year and a half ago, they said it was a little bit too early stage for them. And they typically invested in bigger companies. But I know uh, Charlie Clark uh, uh, there, uh, I know, and uh, a couple other people. So Yeah, I spoke to Michelle Robson at AP Ventures. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good outfit. Uh, it's actually located on one of the the richest streets in London too. You, you go there, and there's like I, I'm not joking. I saw a necklace that was ninety thousand pounds. I mean, it's just I mean, it's so oh. it's it's quite an experience to go there. So yeah, I, I know that area pretty well. That's Bond Street, and and I actually spent a week at the uh, one of the hotels there nearby and walked around. And there's yeah, there's a um, I was at a Porsche or a very, very high-end car dealer. And, you know, it's interesting to me when I travel to Europe or the UK, you see vehicles that you don't even see in the United States. I mean, just with, with price tags to match. But yeah, that's a that's a beautiful area right there. And, and you know, AP Ventures, um, even though they're in London, they've financed two Colorado businesses. There's uh, Starfire Energy, which does uh, hydrogen to ammonia and ammonia to hydrogen conversion. Mm-hmm. And then a company that's actually... Dutch called uh, Hyatt Hydrogen. They build uh, electrochemical compressors. So mm-hmm. they're very active in the hydrogen area. Well, well I, one of their big uh, funders is Plastic Omnium. And uh, we actually have an NDA with Plastic Omnium. So Plastic Omnium, of course, is uh, one of the biggest tier one auto suppliers in the world. So uh, and I remember when actually when I was visiting AP Ventures, I, I said, aren't all the, t- the tanks in the world, uh, you know, for cars made by uh, Energy, and he said, "Yeah, but Energy is owned by Plastic Omnium. Plastic Omnium is going uh, uh, all all into hydrogen. So, uh, so basically, uh, it's good to be sort of uh, connected with these uh, with companies like that." So. I wish I could say more, but we have numbers of NDAs with various companies. And when you asked about about funding, a lot of this uh, I'm not free to discuss, you know, but but because the NDA wouldn't allow it. But certainly, um, you know, more putting me in touch with more uh, venture capitalists can't hurt either, you know, so. All right. Well, um, why don't we wrap it up? How, okay. What is the best way for listeners to contact you? Just through the website or uh, do, you, do you want to give out an email or? Uh, well, uh, I on our website, I have my, my email address at uh, Lancaster University, and that's uh, generally the, the, the best way to contact me. I mean, I, I have a, a Gmail address as well, but I just use that you know, with my friends. But, but all the business email is going through the Lancaster University. So Okay, 
Very good. Well, David, thank you so much for your time today to talk. Um, really appreciate it. I think our listeners are going to find this interesting and uh, hopefully it generates some interest and you'll hear from a few of the listeners. Yes. Uh, yeah. Th- thank you very much. And, uh, and where, where are you located again? Which city? Well, we're in Denver, Colorado. And okay. um, again, you know, it's a Colorado hydrogen network, but we're not focusing on just Colorado. We're starting here and we're, mm-hmm. we're located here, but we'd like to reach out to the rest of the U.S. with with fuel stations at some point. So I see. OK, yeah, no, I, I've, I've been to Denver a couple of times, uh, but more than 10 years ago, just for a couple of conferences. I, I, I liked it. The downtown area is beautiful. And, and uh, I hope they still have the, the free bus that goes uh, back and forth downtown. Yeah, that's on on 16th Street, but yes. you know we really we really see Colorado as being the next epicenter for fuel cells because we've got pretty low electric rates here, so we can generate hydrogen really at parity with gasoline as far as the user is concerned on mm, cost per great. mile. And you know because of the the geography here, uh, most people know about the mountains we have and the cold weather. But then the demographic, we have an awful lot of people here that love to go to the mountains. We have half a million skiers that go back and forth to the mountains. We've got summertime activities as well and and people hauling boats and snowmobiles and camping trailers. And that type of activity doesn't really lend itself well to battery vehicles. So we're we're pretty confident that the fuel cell vehicles, once we can get some stations going here, will really take off. So that's our hope. And yeah, well, speaking of batteries, I, I have two Apple devices, uh, an, an iPhone, the battery failed, uh, and my current laptop right here, the ba- it's only three years old, the, the lithium battery failed three weeks ago, and actually, uh, I, can, I can only use it now when it's plugged in, but the plug-in actually comes out uh, quite often, especially when I, I'm on a, uh, you know, a Zoom <laughs> meeting, because I'm moving around and I've got the lap, so I had to actually tape the plug-in. Uh, to make sure it didn't pop off, uh, because I thought, and you know, I didn't want to cut, have my computer go dead in the middle of this talk. So I'm, I'm, I'm not all that impressed with batteries. So I'm, I'm a big fuel cell guy. So <laughs> well, no, no argument from me there. Well, David, again, thank <laughs> okay. you. I, I think we'll wrap it up. And and thanks okay. for your time. Um, appreciate it. And we'll stay in touch. And best of luck with uh, with Kubagen. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, I'll look forward to hearing the podcast when it's out and uh, finished. So, Right. All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. So that concludes our conversation. Listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Kubagen, the company, you can go to their website at www.kubagen.co.uk. If you want to learn more about Kubus Manganese Hydride, a number of articles will come up if you perform a web search. So listeners, if you enjoy listening to the Hydrogen Nowcast, please subscribe to the podcast and also give us a rating in your podcast app. A good rating helps us be discovered by other people. Of course, word-of-mouth recommendations are really important, so consider letting people in your own network know about the Hydrogen Nowcast. So until next time, this is Brian DeBruin wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.